Hey, welcome to A Little Better. My name is Daniel and I'll be your host. Today on the podcast, Brad and I dive in to questions about Revelation. Everything from who's the mark of the beast? Do you have it already? And who are the 144,000? And so many more questions. Remember, our goal on this podcast is to know Jesus better and by the power of his spirit, do better. So together we can be a little better. Hey, welcome to A Little Better. We're ready to jump into this week. More questions on Revelation. More questions. I was out last week, had a family uh, death. So opening the podcast last week with pestilence and death was pretty accurate. So. Yeah. Um, but thanks for your grace of us missing a week. Thanks for your prayers um, for those of you who reached out. Um, but we're diving into questions. But before we do, I want to point out, there was a little footnote. Last week on the podcast, Drew called me out because I said, I bet you guys won't get through 10 questions. And he's like, look at us go. And then you didn't get through 10 questions. We did not. And I will not say that we skipped questions that I thought Daniel might be better answering that question. I'm not touching they that did one. Eight. So if, as long as we do eight or maybe nine, we can do better than Drew and Brad last Our producer, Ian, was like signaling me that I could do more. And I'm like, no, do I don't want to do, do any more. So, all right. We've reached the limits of my knowledge. Let's go. All right. Let's do the first question, Brad. All we'll right. First question. Here we go. Why discuss Domitian if Caesar Nero was in power when the Mark of the Beast was named after Nero? Yeah. So this person is referencing the sermon in week two. Now, I'm sorry, to be clear, uh, Domitian was a Caesar also, right? I mean, he Caesar was, yeah. is just the title. So we have yeah. two Caesars here, Nero, Nero and, and Domitian. Domitian. Yeah. yeah. And so um, a popular reading of the Mark of the Beast, which is in Revelation 13, which we'll cover... Um, next week, I think, is coming up. But if you're not watching this in t- real time, it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's in Revelation chapter 13. The, the major challenge for the church to have wisdom in recognizing, okay, the mark of, of the beast that with this person mentions, mm-hmm. which it says that the number of this man is 666. That's, that's the challenge. Right. So there's a number, and then the mark is referencing a man. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what we know. And a popular term in scholarship is a, oh, well, that's Nero because he's the one who really started to systematize persecution to Christians. Mm-hmm. And a popular view in scholarship is they've taken the Hebrew alphabet, monetized like each letter getting a number, mm-hmm. and Nero's name, the you know English spelling, N-E-R-O, well, if you equate those to the <clears throat> parallel of the Hebrew alphabet, really? the title, the, the number that you get is... 666. The name Nero the corresponds name. to 666. When you monetize the Hebrew alphabet, and there's a chart you could look up. It's pop. It's a popular view. I will say it's a, it is a okay. semi-popular view. I'm not saying it's the, uh, t- for a view to be popular that right. there uh, or a consensus that's 30% of scholars need to have this view. So there is a consensus. So it's okay. not the majority view, but it is a consensus view. But my question is, when did it become popular, right? Is that something it's that pretty early modern. the church fathers were saying, or is it something we've come up with later? It's, it's pretty modern, and but I want to point out there's two reasons why I think there's problems saying that Nero is the emperor behind Revelation. So the first one is, when Nero was Caesar, mm-hmm. all right? He was Caesar from AD 54 to 68, okay? And I pointed out that, yes, he did persecute Christians, mm-hmm. but he persecuted Christians in the city of Rome, mm-hmm. okay? That's the major thing. Would first century Christians in Asia Minor mm-hmm. be concerned 
with their brothers and sisters in Rome. They should be. Yes, they should be. <laughs> but would they be concerned at the level, like, for their mm-hmm. own lives and safety? Right. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you can compa- parallel that to... Would they feel to, threatened, or would they feel far enough away? From yeah, would they feel far enough away from that? Mm-hmm. Like, we could parallel, like, does our heart go out to our brothers and sisters in faith in the Ukraine currently? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. But are we going to bed fearing for our lives at the level they are every night? Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, that's just a problematic saying Nero is behind it. Mm-hmm. So he's, he and he's, when he's emperor, he's emperor from 54 AD to 68 AD. John wrote Revelation in 80, 96 AD. That means there's 32 years removed mm-hmm. from not only his reign, but his reign ended in his death. Mm-hmm. So that means that in the writing of Revelation and Nero's death, there's 32 years removed. Mm-hmm. Now, there is this minority mystic view that Nero's going to come back from the dead and haunt us. Hmm. That was that was a popular, really? like, oh my gosh, he's coming back. But you could debate whether that was the spirit of Nero was going to be in the spirit of other Roman emperors to mm-hmm. persecute Christians. So you could have that perspective, but that's just the reality, okay? That's the first one, of the problem <clears throat> of the dating of Nero. Sure. The second problem is John did not write in Hebrew. Hmm. That's, that's the first, that's another issue. Right. Number three, John was not writing to Jewish Christians. Mm-hmm. He's writing to Gentile believers mm-hmm. who, does he anticipate they know Hebrew? Mm-hmm. And they're going to know to take it from Greek to Hebrew <clears throat> and monetize the Hebrew alphabet to get, oh, yes, yeah, 666 means Nero. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they he wouldn't anticipate them doing that and he didn't like teach them how to do that, but like that just seems really far-fetched in the mm-hmm. sense of he's writing in Koine Greek. Right. In Hebrew, it's, it's to non-Hebrew speaking to people. To non-Hebrew speaking people. Mm-hmm. And to say that, oh, well, Nero in the Hebrew alphabet, because mm-hmm. it's not in the Greek alphabet. You don't get 666. Sure. Um, so I think that's just the problem. I'm not telling you that it's not, it does not mean Nero. But yeah, I'm sure defenders will say, well, huge coincidence, you know. Yeah, it is a huge coincidence. There's no denying that. There's no denying that it does correspond, and you do get that when you do that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just that's just problems in saying why, and why, to answer the first part of the question, why discuss Domitian? Because Domitian fits right in the center around 10 years sure. with John writing to people relevant in mm-hmm. that era, because Domitian's emperor from... 81 to 96 and if john writes mm. around um you know 96 somewhere between 94 and 96 that's so right on the tails of that's domitian. right on the tails of domitian uh, mm-hmm. because w- we mm. do know that biblical books were written about past events they weren't like you know mm-hmm. ri- you know ri- writing about they weren't writing the gospels of jesus while that was time it was a few years it was years later they were sitting down writing the record of the accounts and that's right. kind of the same track record of all the other biblical books so mm-hmm. that fits the track record of 10 years ago Domitian came into power he systematized all these things and he he's the emperor behind revelation and so so yeah those are some problematic views of saying well Nero is the mark of the beast and the reason we discussed Domitian is because that's the timing and he was the one who systematized persecution of the Christians across the entire empire, not just the city of Rome. Well, first of all, so glad to have you back. 
<laughs> so do appreciate your teaching and obviously the reflection of the deep dives that you you and Drew and you know the other speakers are doing this so helpful. That's so when reading Revelation, I do kind of obsessed with, preoccupied with the future events, but it, you need to know what yeah. was the historical context yeah. these writers wrote from. What was what was and what would people identify? What would the original hearers identify with? So that's Super, super helpful. Awesome. Thanks so much on that. Okay, number two is in Revelation one sixteen, there is the mention of Jesus' mouth. There is the mention of Jesus' mouth. Well, his from his mouth comes a double edged sword. As I think of it, the mouth is where the words we speak come from. So Jesus' words are like a double edged sword. Does that mean like the general saying that Jesus' words then have a good side and a bad side, or they can cut into others and convict them, but also convict us? This imagery is confusing for me. Please help explain. Yeah, this person put a lot of thought into this question, so uh, I, I love that. And so, Pro- probably the answers are in that question. <laughs> yeah, there part of the answers so are so much really, speculation. Like, like, what about this and this and this? Yeah, probably, uh, maybe. <laughs> the, there's a few things that I'll address. Uh, you know, I talked about the words of God throughout the Bible. I made three, I think, references really quickly in that sermon on week two of Revelation that, you know, a reference that by the power of God's word, he created mm-hmm. creation. The second one is in Isaiah 11, which was, funny enough, I preached a sermon on Isaiah 11, like, in November last year mm-hmm. about the words of God that it says in one of those verses in that um, messianic prophecy that he would come back and slay his enemies by the power of his word, mm-hmm. which it seems like a paradox, right? He's going to slay his enemy, mm-hmm. enemies, but how he's going to do that is through his words. Mm-hmm. It's not He's not going to come wielding this big sword. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to be through his word. But then you all throughout scripture, we see words being compared to as daggers, knives, or swords mm-hmm. um, in that regard. And so... Um, and then Hebrews has the example that the word of God is like a sharp double-edged sword, you know, dividing, dividing soul and spirit, bone, bone and marrow, mm-hmm. um, all these things. And so that that's true, that the imagery is all there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the one example that is being described of Jesus that seems like a metaphor, but does not have the metaphorical Greek depictor mm-hmm. on it in mm-hmm. that list. So, you know, when you go through that list in Revelation chapter 1, You get, he had hair like wool, Mm -hmm. words like rushing waters. Mm -hmm. You know, he had feet like bronze in a furnace. Which reference was that? I'm sorry. So this reference this person brings up, the coming out of his mouth was a double-edged sword. Right. This is the one reference that seems like, oh yeah, this is a metaphor too, Mm -hmm. but it does not have that descriptor word like, Mm -hmm. like a metaphorical. So it doesn't have that. And so I I think I lightly mentioned that in that sermon. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it problematic. So for it being like, this imagery is confusing to me. Please help mm-hmm. me explain. You know, it's like, yeah, you're right. It is because it's like, oh, it, he had something coming out of his mouth like a sword. Mm-hmm. That would have been relevant, but it's right. not there. Right. You know, it's not. It's not there in that passage. Yeah. To, to clarify <clears throat> some of this is like, um, does it mean that Jesus' word have a good and a bad side? I, I don't know. I, I would say no to that. Um, right. In the sense that. I've never had I don't a know good the, the, experience being cut. Well, the words aren't bad, but, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. obviously the words may execute judgment, you know, which might feel bad to those being That's judged. True. That's but true. obviously his words are, whether whether they're mercy, words of mercy, or whether words of judgment, they're, they're good, they're true. Yeah. Yeah, obviously that connection to Genesis 1 where God, when he speaks, 
you know, when we speak, we describe reality. When God speaks, he creates reality. Mm, that's a word. So, and then that gets reflected again in John 1 about Jesus. You know, he is the mm. word. So he, he's got that same power yeah. we saw in Genesis, you know, that he is Jesus himself. And then here it is, you know, this big crowning achievement at the end, whatever he speaks, it's not just describing, it is it is declaring, creating yeah. what is true. It's bringing things into existence. And so to, to wrap this question up is, you know, you have, you're on the right track that there's, there's something more than our eyes or even our minds can understand or eyes can see going mm-hmm. on here that there's power in Jesus' words and the words of God. Mm-hmm. Um, there's power in our words. There, there's, uh, I didn't plan to reference this, but there's a book that one of my friends actually wrote, uh, and it's, it's geared towards pastors, but man, it was convicting just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a book called No Neutral Words. It's by mm-hmm. Sam Burig. I'll reference it in the show notes. Um, and it, he talks about the power that words have and the power of God's word, Jesus' words, super mm-hmm. biblical book. Uh, he focuses it kind of in Proverbs, um, but his his thesis statement is that Matthew 12 passage that mm-hmm. we'll be judged from for every word. Yeah. Every word. Yeah. Um, that's, so, that's the power of the commandment not yeah. to lie, right? I mean, yeah. God cannot lie. That's yeah. declared in Scripture. Mm. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's just like anything he says is true. Yeah. And for us... In the image of God, for us to lie to mismatch reality is it's yeah. it's, it's an offense. It's to so God. good, it's a it's such a good read. Little thin book as well. Mm-hmm. It's called No Neutral Words. Uh, I'll reference it as well. All yeah, right, I'm going to read this next question. All Go right? for it, and you get to answer. Oh, so in Revelation two five, which we didn't cover those chapters, but this person knows that we did a series on that called Seven. Um, it is it says he's quoting scripture here. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Close quote. Mm -hmm. Is this speaking of things to come? Is this showing that while we need to be ready when Jesus comes, there is a time to repent because of his return or our fallen world? Are we born with sin? And then prior to this first, he speaks of being a new believer. So is this showing the arc of belief? What's happening here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, and kind of that section? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't want to overthink it. Um, So we're talking about, I mean, so something's going on in Ephesus that we're trying to untangle, but there's a reason for us to hear the words too. So it would seem that there's probably some principle behind this. It applies to them. It applies to us. It's basically, you know, this warning to always consider, are we in danger of invoking God's, you know, wrath, his, 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 his judgment? Is there a need for us to repent? There was a need for them to repent. Um, and there's, Always and you po- you pointed out something vigilance. really important too. Yeah, is this question is is pointed almost in an individual way? Like, mm-hmm. you know, this person's probably concerned. Like, hey, how does this apply to my life? Like, do mm-hmm. I need to repent of something? Is mm-hmm. there a window of arc of belief? Kind of these things. Mm-hmm. But this letter was written to the church mm-hmm. in Ephesus, right? And the church in Ephesus was church in a city. Mm-hmm. There's a potential that there was multiple churches, houses mm-hmm. in this city that this letter was going to. So this is a corporate, right? And this is talking about the church, not the person, mm-hmm. but the church getting their lampstand removed. Mm-hmm. And 
what we know in history is none of these seven churches and where they met mm-hmm. exist. Survive. They yeah. never survived. Mm-hmm. So th- thinking about Northridge or our church or churches throughout history, mm-hmm. Jesus promised to build his church mm-hmm. in general across the globe. But he never promised that one church would always exist. You know, praise God that Northridge Church, the way we've assembled as believers, has been over, how long has it been, Brad? 1889. 1889. Over 130-plus years. Right. You yeah. know, our, By God's grace. I mean, amen. incredible mercy, but nothing guaranteed. Right. And so nothing guaranteed in the sense of God's going to be faithful to his church. Sure. But that does not mean his faithfulness to his church means Northridge will always be. Right. In the same way that all the churches in the Bible, you know, gathering in the New Testament have mm-hmm. not been, mm-hmm. but God has continued to be faithful to the, his promise of, I will build my church. Right. Um, and so don't read too much into the Bible verses in the sense of let them speak for what they are, but apply them. I, I think this person's on the right track of, you know, is this talking about there's a window to repent? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a window, right? <laughs> I, I love that language. I'm, I'm using it, you know, this weekend. So, yeah. Um, of, of, of that regard. so Yeah, and biblically, I think back to stories like Jonah, where the preaching was basically judgment. There was no, yeah. like, if you repent, I'm going to pull back. So, but the, the, the preaching was outright judgment. But the people of Nineveh did cry out to God, did cry for mercy, and repentance came. Mm. So sometimes I think, as we read through Revelation, we see so much judgment. But yeah. all that judgment has a kindness to it. Yeah. There is that opportunity. It leads us to repentance. It's drawing yes. us into God. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. All right. all right, number four. Number four. Also, does John take any literature from Zechariah? Sounds like he's setting up a softball for you here. That's right. <laughs> also, does John take any literature from Zechariah that would influence the way he wrote and what he wrote? Yeah, uh, there's, yes, Zechariah is one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. Uh, I love Zechariah Minor Prophet, um, mm-hmm. the penultimate Minor Prophet, so he's the next to last. Yeah. Uh, and the answer is yes. There's many Old Testament passages all through the book of Revelation. We talked about, I think, week one on the podcast, there's over 500 either direct quotes or allusions to Old Testament passages. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely three that are glaring in the book of Zechariah. One is the lampstands, mm-hmm. two is the olive trees, and three is the one whom you've pierced. Yeah. Um, so that's chapter four in Zechariah. That's the lampstands and olive trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one who you've pierced is in the prophecy. I- I'm probably misquoting, but I think it's chapter nine-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. But definitely John is heavily influenced. Mm-hmm. Um one of my fun facts about Zechariah is, is based on the volume of quotes and the size of the book of Zechariah. Mm-hmm. He is the most quoted by volume. Quote, most quoted perverse. Yeah. In, the in Yeah. In the I can say that right. Not perverse. 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 Yeah. Most <laughs> quoted perverse by volume yes. in the Gospels, and they're mm-hmm. all pointing to Jesus. And so yeah. um, John is... Is doing that. He's doing that very thing. Yeah, John's an interesting character to me because we know that again, he's a you know unschooled, right? And and we know that his language is pretty simple. Yeah. He's no Paul. I mean, yeah, you read Paul, not. and Paul uses big words, and he's like, "What is happening?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But John John has just such a simple language to him. Mm. But then you just re- but Jesus had a simple language he when he communicated too. But just to be aware, just how thoroughly they knew mm. their their Hebrew scriptures. Yeah. And when Jesus opened their eyes to the connections, it was mm-hmm. just like jumping off every page in the Old Testament. So it's good. Yeah, yeah very right. good. Number five. Number five. Are the 144,000 in Revelation 7 Jews or Christians or both? In other words, Messianic. 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, which we covered chapter seven during the seven, uh, seven seals, seals, right? Mm-hmm. But we weren't able to dive into that interlude of mm-hmm. the 144,000, who they are and what they are. So I, I got a few scripture references that we'll include in the show notes as well. But mm-hmm. Revelation 4, uh, 7, 4 uh, talks about, I heard the number that were sealed was 144,000, sealed mm-hmm. from every tribe from the sons of Israel. Right. So that makes us think, oh, they're Jews. Yeah. Right, that makes us think that. Mm-hmm. But then that number is also used in Revelation fourteen verses one and three. Mm-hmm. Um, that's used there that you can go and see. Mm-hmm. Um, what's important us to look at that the person this person is asking is from the tribes that are listed. So if you read through the list and the tribes, it's mm-hmm. from verse five through eight in chapter seven. It lists these tribes. Well, we got to ask the question: Who are the tribes? Mm-hmm. Well, the tribes are the sons of Israel. Right. Next question. Who's Israel? Well, Israel is Jacob, found mm-hmm. in the in the book of Genesis. And these tribes are listed after his sons. If you want to know who those are, you could go through that prophecy in Genesis mm-hmm. chapter 49. He goes through all the tribes and lists them in order. And there's mm-hmm. multiple genealogy lists where the tribes are listed. Mm-hmm. But what John does in Revelation chapter 7 is profound, and it makes me ask the question, who in the heck do you think you are to do what you did, all right? Mm-hmm. And here, here's why I say that, all right? What John does is he, the def, the number 144,000 is definitely symbolic in nature. 12 times 12. 12 times 12. And just on the number 12, it's mm-hmm. also like the number seven, the number mm-hmm. of completeness. Sure. And there's a lot of 12s in Revelation. Sure. Uh, you know, just mm-hmm. in chapter 21, I went through and read it this this week in wow. prep. Um, there are 12 tribes, 12 mm-hmm. names of the apostles. There's 12 gates with 12 pearls, mm-hmm. 12 angels. Mm-hmm. On the tree of life in Revelation 22, there's mm-hmm. 12 kinds of fruit on the tree of life. Mm-hmm. And then there's 12 foundational stones in the new city of the mm-hmm. new heaven and new earth. Yeah. 12 is important. <laughs> and so... <laughs> In, in light of that, and then if you read Revelation 7 to figure out who these people are, John changes the genealogy. Hmm. He reorders it, hmm. okay, first. The tribe of Judah is always, never listed first, mm-hmm. but he lists it first. Mm-hmm. But who was the tribe of Judah? David, Jesus. David, Jesus, mm-hmm. right? It was, it's where the, it says in Genesis 49, the scepter or mm-hmm. the rod of authority, of mm-hmm. power, will not pass from the tribe of Judah. It'll right. stay in that tribe, mm-hmm. and it did. Mm-hmm. Jesus, David, Jesus fulfills it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also does something, too. The tribe of Dan is excluded. It's not listed. Really? My tribe gets cut out, man. <laughs> they, get, they cut me out. But here's the other thing, too. He adds in the half-tribe of Manasseh mm-hmm. in this list, which is not a son. Grandson. It's a grandson. Son of Joseph. It's the son of Joseph. Yeah. So what is he doing? And I want to give you my conclusion. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is my conclusion. There's other scholars who disagree. I, I just call myself scholar, but there's other people who disagree, okay? <laughs> but my conclusion is this. Since Jesus has come, mm-hmm. there is a new multi-ethnic Israel. And I'm using the word Israel to encompass the people of God. Because mm-hmm. I believe in the Old Testament, the, there is a true Israel, like Paul talks about in the book of Romans, chapter 4, uh-huh. chapter 9. There, there is a people within the people, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, that there are those who are ethnic Jews, mm-hmm. but there are those who are true followers of God. Mm-hmm. And there are those who are just 
they're Jews by birth, but they're not, their heart is not after God. Mm-hmm. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament, right? There's right. there's a smaller tribe within, you know, there's a smaller following, and that, that's the remnant mm-hmm. that God preserves because all those other people, they desire sacrifices, not mercy. They right. don't follow me with their heart. Their, their lips are with me, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus calls it out for true sons yeah. of Abraham. True, right? true. He, 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 he said true. And then Jews all throughout the gospel's time, they would be like, oh, that's me. And he's like, no, it's not. Right. It's not you. And even on top of that, there are non-ethnic Jews included in the genealogy list of Jesus in Matthew chapter one. Sure. I mean, Rahab, Ruth, Ruth yep. you know, uh, um, like there's multiple mm-hmm. uh, in, inside of that. So my conclusion is since Jesus has come, God is making for himself a new ethnic Israel that is multi-ethnic, made up of people that are Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles mean people from all the nations, mm-hmm. uh, which he has been doing all along in true Israel. Mm-hmm. And so that that's my conclusion. Yeah, and I think we realize that we're touching some live wires when we talk about <laughs> those, you know, the, the, the Israel of God and yeah. how that is played out in the New Testament and you know dispensational theology or covenant theology. And the, but I, but but all of us, I mean, it doesn't matter which theological camp you come from. It does not. We all agree that Jesus is building a church and gathering from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and it is always intended to go beyond the bounds of Israel, mm. and it has never been yeah. meant to be a birthright claimed by ethnicity. Amen. Yeah. So, yeah. Abraham, why why was Abraham blessed? Because he believed the promise. Yeah, and that's what we're all called to do, mm-hmm. like, in general, right? From cool. beginning to end. And Brad, I'm sad to say, but we did not get through nine questions, uh, but we'll, we'll do our best uh, as we move forward. So we hope that you're enjoying this series, enjoying these questions. Keep them coming. You can still submit them if you're um, watching this in real time. And as we're releasing these episodes, uh, you can go to iwant.info to submit questions. And I'm sure there's more out there. We thank you guys uh, for joining us this week on the podcast. We can't wait to see you next week. Next week.